Jay, what's up, man? What's up? So I've got Jay Robertson here with me. And for some of you folks who follow Tennessee football, that name may ring a bell. For the, but for the rest of y'all who uh, don't, a little background on Jay. Jay is a Nashville native, grew up in, I guess you could say, the rougher part of town. Yeah, a bit, a bit, a little bit. <laughs> a bit, the parts of town that in 2018 under one's getting gentrified, basically. Exactly. Went to arguably the premier preparatory school in Tennessee and then played football at UT, made it to the NFL, didn't didn't quite make the cut to a roster at the end, but we're going to have a good conversation. So, Jay, you know, give a little background on yourself outside of what I broke down for folks. Okay, so uh, a little background on myself. Um, I'm, I'm from East Nashville. Um, with as you already said, is is being gentrified right now as we speak. Um, I grew up off Lishy Avenue with my mother um, in a duplex um, that wasn't you know wasn't huge or anything like that. But uh, at the same time, I never really had to want for anything. My mom did a great job of supporting me um, and everything that I needed. So um, it was it was just a a great experience growing up. Um, like I said, growing up, my mom single parent. My dad went into the federal prison around the age of my age of four years old. Um, he actually recently got released from prison, which has been great for my family and I. So yeah, growing up, my mom, she she worked a lot. Um, she worked for a real long time at Red Cross um, while working jobs, taking me back and forth to football practice, basketball practice, whatever sport I was in at the time. She managed to to get a degree. So so my mom get a degree, graduate, and she's now the director of operations at Rogers Behavioral Health, which is a, a psych clinic. So I say all that to say that growing up, my mom, she was my hero. She was mm-hmm. a person that I looked up to and a person that I wanted to be like and, and not let down. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because you are kind of that typical movie Poverty stricken neighborhood going to a school that costs, I think, MBA's tuition now is like twenty two, twenty five thousand dollars a year. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. it's a it's a nice chunk of change. Talk about, you know, that transition from going from, from a neighborhood where you've got drugs, you've got violence, you've got all these different things. Even though your mom was taking care of you and was doing a great job, the environment was very toxic in a lot of ways to an environment where there's kids whose parents make two, three, four million dollars a year, and you're now plopped in the same classroom. What what was that transition like and just the mindset shift? Okay, so, you know, first off, we're all, I believe that we're all products of, of our environment. So you talk about the environment, the physical environment that I lived in and that I endured. But at the same time, um, I think something that, that maybe a lot of people don't take into account is the environment that was being created for me. Hmm. Um, what do you mean by that? So my family... Even those that may or may not have been involved in some of the things that we talked about in, in that area, they never they never allowed that to be an option for me. They never attempted to get me involved in, in, in any of that. And not everybody in my family is, is involved in yeah. that kind of stuff. You know, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. Um, they instilled a lot in me. And um, they really created a unique environment inside an environment for me to grow and develop. So you go from that physical environment to another one being NBA, you know, West End, pure luxury. Yeah. Yeah. Pure pure luxury. Almost extreme luxury. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I get there, I get there in seventh grade out of the Metro public school system, which is, I mean, that's a, that's another conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just the, the perspective and, and opportunities presented there is completely different. It's not even, 
it's not even close. It's not even fair. So I, I go to a place like that immediately just setting foot at a school like that. I'm like, wow, I didn't even know within Nashville that this existed. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, maybe in L.A. or New York or wherever it is, like they have places like this. But I wasn't thinking, you know, 15 minutes west um, up, the, up the interstate. There's there's places like this. There's houses like this in this area that are just so grand and, and beautiful and, you know, nice land and all of that. Um, so I, I immediately changed my expectation. My my focus shifted. I saw all of that and I, I kind of wondered why and how, like, how did these how did these people, this this group of people, how did they come to this this situation, this this standard of living? Yeah. Um so I gained a lot of perspective, you know, having friends there and going places, seeing things, having experiences. I, I shortly realized I'm like, you know, my my goals, they have to grow. Yeah. I have to dream bigger. I have to think higher. Um, I have to, I have this opportunity and this perspective that nobody else in my family has had. So I have to push that bar. Um, so during my time at NBA, that's exactly what I tried to do. Put everything I had into books and the sports and whatever it is to make the most out of my opportunity. Well, I think it's interesting what you just said there about having to make your goals bigger. So private school conversation aside, people, you can be a fan, you cannot be a fan, you whatever. The one thing, particularly a preparatory school such as MBA, because it's not it's not like MBA is, you know, rinky dink 30 student school that got opened up somewhere randomly and they're just calling themselves a private school. Like this is a, a true institution. Whatever you may think about them, they drive excellence. And what in whatever you are good at, they will figure that out and they will drive you to excellence. Period. And for you that was sports, particularly football. Yeah, for for me, for me directly that was sports. I had a best friend uh, by the name of Bates O'Neill. He still is my one of my best friends. Um he was involved in in chorus, rock band, theater. Um he was in involved in pretty much every honors course from the second and from the day that we got there. And so you have these people, you come into a situation where, okay, you're here at this great institution. We all have different talents and you realize um, you aren't the best at everything. Yeah. You know, coming out of the school system I was in and the situation I was in, I might've been the smartest and most athletic and talented in a lot of different ways, but you found out real quick at NBA that there's people with, with so many different talents and, as a certain level of respect and support that comes from that. It was a community of people who really enjoy excellence on any level, even to this day, whether it's sports or music or whatever it is, I, I enjoy anything at a high level. Yeah. And I think I get that from my experience of going to NBA. Well, I think that's really interesting because it does open your eyes. And we had this conversation. So this whole interview really stemmed out of you and I, just chatting. And by the end of the conversation, like I think an hour in, I was like, Hey, you want to do a podcast? How many people in communities that do not have necessarily those opportunities to have their eyes open, never even see their own potential because they're not challenged. You know, they might see their potential. And we talked about this in another direction of selling drugs, because the only people you see around you that are doing big things are the ones moving dope. And that's that, that becomes your idea. But then you go into an environment where you might be the best singer in a chorus and or, or the best actor. And next thing you know, you're on Broadway because that's what you cultivated. 
how hard was it to reconcile those two worlds for yourself? Because I, I know you also said that you were the firstborn in your family. So you're the first child and the first grandchild. Yes. And all the attention was on you from day one. Yeah. So from day one, uh, you know, I'm the first grandchild in the family, first child of my grandmother's oldest child. So um, the, the amount of support that I received all the way through is just ridiculous. And I don't think it's even... I don't even think it's a fair expectation for anybody who who came after me, any of my cousins and all of that to have, have had the opportunity to even get all of that focus and all of that attention and have all that effort placed into them. So I was in a very, very unique situation. Um, when you talk about when you talk about goals and in perspective, like you said, if the the people that you see having nice cars and doing nice things or, or those who are selling drugs or whatever it is, then that's your, that's your view of success. But when you go to a place like NBA and you see alums coming back, whether they're, you know, lawyers, engineers, um, you know, whatever professions they're in, you're saying, okay, they have nice things. They, they have nice, better, yeah, they yeah. have better things. And it's like, you know, forget all of this. And they're not worried risk. about getting killed. Right. Forget all of this risk and, and all of that stuff, when you can go about things the right way and your potential is that that much more grand. Yeah. Um, so just just the perspective and, and all of that, it really changed my mindset. As a kid, I wanted to go to the NFL, wanted to be a professional football player. That's what I wanted to do. So for 16 years, I grinded that out for a 1% chance to do that. And along the way, I can't really pinpoint exactly when it, when it was, but I know it's due to my experience at NBA. I'm like, I... You know, football is great and all of that, but I want to be a source of generational wealth for my family. I want to be that guy like a lot of my friends at NBA talked about, you know, well, we my family didn't always have money. My granddad, he did this and did that, and my great-granddad and my grandmother or whoever that person was in their family. I'm like, wow, I can be that for my family. Yeah. So what drives me to this point and to this day is being a source of generational wealth for my family. It doesn't have a a cut off. It doesn't have a ceiling. Um, and one thing I pride myself on is not allowing other people to have higher expectations for me than I have for myself. So, mm. you know, NBA just took the cap off of my world. Um, it opened up my mind to a, a lot of things. And um, I don't know, I'm, I'm really enjoying that now. And I'm glad my goal shifted from what it was to what it is now because it allowed me to bounce back from my previous situation and attack this one in the way necessary to be successful. It's interesting. By the way, we're not getting paid by NBA for this advertisement that we're, we're freely <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's interesting what you said about being the source of that generational wealth. You, you can try this at home. Can you name all eight of your great grandparents? I remember about six years ago, I was in a session and we were, you know, there was a speaker and he asked all of us to name off all eight of our great grandparents. And I was the only person in the entire room out of like maybe a hundred people who did it. Wow. And, you know, think, and I'm weird because I keep, I'm very aware of my ancestry and that's a cultural thing, but mm -hmm. it's very true because the speaker said, you know, think about this. None of y'all could do it except for one random person. He says, typically in a room, I don't have anybody who can name off all of them he said that's your parents, grandparents within two generations, you are forgotten. The speaker said, you know, that when I initially heard that, I kind of pissed me off. And I thought about it. I said, I don't want to be forgotten. 
to me that really resonated and to you, you know, if you are that catalyst of generational wealth, it's almost a way of guaranteeing you're not forgotten. It's like, because <laughs> yeah, you just gave an example of like my great grandfather or my great, not all my great grandfathers, not all, it's like one person mm-hmm. really is the catalyst and just pushes that through. So it's a, it's an interesting exercise for readers. If you want to try name off all eight of your great grandparents. So, so let's fast forward. You, you graduate from MBA, you go to the university of Tennessee, go Vols. Go Vols, um, baby. You, you play O-line, right? Yeah, I played offensive line. I played center and both guards okay. in my time there. So you spent four years there? Yes, I I played um, all four years there. I was one of three um, guys, I think one of four now with, with Trey Smith, possibly. One of three guys at the time um, to start on the offensive line as a, as a true freshman. Um, and I played all four years, all the way through. Yeah, so to contextualize those people, this isn't like some scrub that was just hanging out <laughs> on the bench. Like, this is a four-year starter <laughs> on, a, on, a, on a major SEC team. So, so you're there. Your offensive line, I mean, you're you're literally, and we talked about this, you're having to be an animal on the line. Like, you got to have that switch to yes, just become a have, straight you savage. Have to have a switch. Which, for people, like, for people who know you, where I interact with you on a regular basis, you're like this really nice guy. But then having that switch, talk about having that switch and what that actually means within that context. Okay, so having that switch. Um, well, when you, when you think about football, it's the closest thing to gladiators in the Coliseum at this time. So a very, very physical sport, a very, very dangerous sport. And you're going against the the top, most elite talents in the world in the context of the game of football. So, you know, something that's very combative. Um, you have to have a you have to approach it in which a way that, you know, you don't care about your body. You don't care what happens to your body or your head or whatever it is. Um, and to be quite honest, I I like that contact. Um, mm-hmm. I think in a way there's a there's a piece of me that can be destructive and the game of football fulfilled that piece within me. So I really enjoyed that uh, that element of the game. The, what do you mean the, by destructive? Clarify that. When I say destructive, just a way to relieve the the daily strains of life, yep. <laughs> you know, the the daily stresses of life or whatever it is. You you get to put yourself in a mindset where nothing else matters. You're not thinking of anything but going to battle with your brothers and just giving it all you got and being very physical and destructive within the the rules of the game of football. And so for me, also had an element of pride, right? So as you can tell already, my focus is so much on my family. Um, the reason why I played the game of football, especially throughout my college career, was not for me. It was for your family. Yeah, it was way too difficult yeah. <laughs> on a daily basis for it to be specifically just for me. So I played with the the pride of the last name on my jersey. Yeah. And, of course, the, the T on the front also. Considering the fact that, okay, I'm lined up, across from somebody who believes that they can whoop my butt. The fact that they put their hand in the ground in front of me made me feel disrespected. You know, my, my mama gave me the last name on the back of my jersey. Yeah. She's in the stands, rooting me on, and my family looking at me on TV and all of that. And you're not about to embarrass me on these on this field between these lines. Yeah. It's not happening. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm, as far as the mindset goes, it's definitely a unique mindset and, um, it's something that I really enjoy. Yeah, and, and we talked about 
you know, men in particular, we're talking about obviously millennial manhood. Men tend to either create or destroy with our energy. You know, we either build villages and cities or we pillage and, and war. We also talked about like how guys bond. We're constantly ripping each other. I mean, 24-7. There ain't no niceties about it. As a matter of fact, yeah. you know, if I'm lighting you up over something and you crack like an egg, I lose respect for you. I want friends who I can completely crap on at any moment in time and they'll just bounce back because that means I can trust you. And it's it's similar to what you just described about you and your brothers. You're lining up on on the field and that dude is putting his hand down. You're like, oh, so so you want to see me. Like, you <laughs> exactly. Wanna, you want to go. Up? Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's that matter of that pride. So and having that switch. And I think what's important, though, is having that switch, because we also talked about guys on the team who don't have a switch. They're just 24 seven savages. There definitely is a there definitely is a balance. You know, you can't take that approach from on the field and implement it into your everyday life. And as we talked about in the past, there may be a time, there may come a point in your life where you do have to flip that switch on. Like yeah. I said, if somebody walks up in my house and it's it's my family and I, who's going to handle that? Yeah. Me. <laughs> so yeah. you, we definitely, as men, we develop from a playground mentality, the mentality of, all right, you know, the guy who can't make it across the monkey bars or whatever it is, is is inferior in that setting. Yeah. Um, to a certain extent, that that's okay on what the type of environment society that we live in. But at the same time, another thing that you and I have talked about, it, it really, when that's predominantly who you are and how you're living as a person, um, I don't think that's a, a wholesome way of living. Um, at this point, between spirituality, your mental and your physical, right? Um, I think there's a, a balance that is necessary. Um, the physical, you know, obviously staying in shape, um, maintaining your health, preserving your health so you can be around to, to experience life and experience your family and that type of deal. Um, spirituality, you know, not necessarily on the basis of religion, but what it is that is your purpose, yeah. what it is that gets you excited when you get up in the morning and, you know, want to head out and do what you got to do. And then mentally, just that strength, having a strong mindset. And strength isn't just measured in brute force or whatever it is. Strength can also be measured in Mental expressing strength. expressing yourself properly in, in certain situations. Um, I think as men, we only express ourselves, like you said, in two ways, whether it's destruction or creation. One thing that, that really kind of hit home for me, I had a friend that passed and uh, he just suddenly passed and when showed up to his funeral, was the first one there viewing the body, sat there the whole time and bawled my freaking eyes out, man. Um, my granny, she was there with me. She was there for me. So she was my shoulder to lean on. And this guy, he grew up in a single parent household, went to NBA, played ball with me from I was seven years old on up. So we had very, very similar back backgrounds. So it was really, really real for me. Um, and I just sat there and thought, I really cared about this person. I'm bawling my eyes out. I'm so sad at this person's funeral. And I love this person. And I don't think I ever took the chance to, to tell that person that I loved him. Yeah. And I'm like, why? Yeah. And when I think about that, I'm like, is it because in my setting, I thought it would be perceived as something soft or weird or whatever it is. And at this point, I'm like, forget all of that. Yeah. Um, well, man's dead. Yeah. Forget all of that. So when I when it comes to my family, my friends, my boys, whoever it is, and not everybody has made this adjustment in my circle, but. If I love you, I'm going to tell you I love you. If I think about you, I'm going to hit you up. I'm going to tell you I love you. Because I think it's necessary for us as men to be able to express ourselves. 
Well, and we're human beings. And, and I think the key to all of this, in my opinion, is the balance part. But what you said about within the appropriate context, responding in appropriate ways. So let's go back to the monkey bar example. Okay, so your kids, the one kid can't make it across the monkey bars and you're lighting them up. You're making fun of them. Okay, that kid can respond in one of two ways. He can either say, okay, well, they're making fun of me. I'm going to keep climbing across those monkey bars until I can do it, or I'm going to crumble, fold, and leave. You know which kid is going to be accepted by the friends later? First one. The first one, for sure. Even if you just keep trying, because what happens is you keep trying and you keep failing, the other kids will stop making fun of you. Watch kids on the playground. They'll start encouraging them. You fold up and leave, you've lost all respect. And it's about finding that strength because to me, like my best friends, my boys, I'll tell them I love them all the time. That to me is a matter of strength. Like, hey, I love you because you are a brother to me. I'll do damn near anything for you. All right, I'll take a bullet for you, whatever it is. And to really get to that point, um, whether it's with ball, like kind of that playground mentality growing up as, as young men, we have the opportunity to create. We pretty much are creating adverse situations for one, for one another repeatedly to over overcome. and over and over again. So when you're going through those little micro mini adversities and your friends or whoever it is is seeing how you respond to that you know, on a consistent basis, um, you, you, you're definitely going to develop a tight bond and a, and a high level of respect. My best friends today are, first of all, people who, whether it was wrestling, football, or whatever it is, that I that made me uncomfortable as far as how I was working at things and my work ethic towards things. And th- those were also guys that I felt were really dependable. The yeah. reason why I felt they were dependable was because the way I saw them handle adversity. Mm-hmm. Point blank, period. Nothing else than that. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, handling that adversity, having that balance, mental, spiritual, physical um, within those situations, I think that is a true testament to strength. Yeah. And I think that's a true definition of strength. It's, you know, when you when you think about what we see as strength or what we define as strength and culture and what strength truly is, strength might be walking away from a situation. Strength might be running into a situation. It's, it's so contextual. And, and in a lot of ways, culture has taken and given us these cookie cutter approaches to things that just aren't realistic. You know, strength is, in my opinion, you know, telling the truth and being honorable. And, and what you said, you, you played ball for that last name and that T. You didn't play ball for Jake. That means you put a hell of a lot of honor on that last name on the back and that T on the front because the last name represented your family and that T represented your second family. That, yes, that's, sir. Yeah, that's that's what it, what it really comes down to at the end of the day. But speaking of adversity, let's fast forward again. So you make it to the league. What team did you, did you uh, end up at? So I was a undrafted free agent. I signed with the Dallas Cowboys. Okay. You're um, the second former Cowboy we've had on you? Okay, I didn't I didn't know that. Yeah, so I really, you know, I loved my time there um, as an offensive lineman at the University of Tennessee. I considered the Cowboys O-line, I think we can all consider this as football fans, to be the best offensive line in the league. Yeah. With, you know, three, four guys who are going to be future Hall of Famers. So I looked up to those guys. Um, I watched a lot of film and tried to mimic some techniques that they use. So being able to be in that, that space and get the – get the the information directly from the source yeah was was ridiculous yeah to say the least yeah 
Um, but just kind of going going on an, on that experience, and I say, and you know, I laugh about it now that it was you know a short time spin. I ended up getting cut in OTAs, um, which you know, which was I was very very down about it. Um, was unemployed for a few months. Was in a really really bad place, a really bad headspace. But um, I think what really dug me out of that was a my support systems. The same people that supported me in ball were the same people calling me and encouraging me. Um, you know, ensuring hey, the same things it, it took for you to be successful in ball, you'll be successful in whatever you do in life. You know, you're driven. Um, it's it's gonna be all right. You'll figure it out. And um, you know, the opportunity here. It really, really revived me in a way. The real, the real, real focus within that was was my purpose of wanting to be a social generational wealth for my family did not end with football. Yeah. If I would allow my end goal to be a to be a an NFL, NFL player, what is what is my mindset then? What am I looking Ooh. like then? What's my approach then versus my goal being something much grander than the game of football? Okay, so let's stop right there and let's unpack that because I think that is really impactful for people listening. So, you know who Simon Sinek is? I do not. Okay, he um, he is an author. He's a motivational speaker, et cetera. He wrote a book that changed my life. It was called – he wrote two books that changed my life, actually. I saw him speak in 2013 and my mind was blown. Start With Why is the first book. And then Leaders Eat Last is the second mm-hmm. book. I like that. Highly, title. highly recommended both of them. Leaders Eat Last, in my opinion, is a little bit better just because I like <laughs> psychology. But both of them are fantastic. So you just really hit home on something where you said, if being an NFL player was my end goal, I lose everything once I'm cut. Everything. Everything. Because it's so, it's not impactful enough. But wanting to be the source of generational wealth, you can go do a million things. Anything. You, you, you don't lose your purpose. And, and I think the reason I'm harping on this so much is because we tend to make our goals, not that they don't need to be specific, but we tend to focus on things rather than purposes, if that makes sense. So like becoming an NFL player is not, not I mean, I guess it can be a purpose, but it's a very narrow field, whereas a purpose you can expand on and it can be a source of life for as long as you live. And I'm a little, I'm rambling a little here, but I just think it was so important to really stop and think about that. I, I definitely agree. Um, you know, football is just a, a way to get there. Yeah. Essentially, it, it was just a way. So yeah. once I looked at it from that perspective, it didn't, it didn't take away from what I was putting into it. Yeah. Um, I put everything I had into it. I have no regrets about anything that I did and anybody that knows me and has been a part of my journey along the way. Um, I I bet they would agree with that. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really, really important, whether you get your purpose from religion, family, whatever it is. Um, I mean, what's the point without it? That's true. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the people I know that are, for example, successful, quote unquote, but I can tell are that's, pretty yeah, that's relative. Yeah, it is relative, <laughs> but quote unquote, financially successful. Let's mm-hmm. say financially successful. But you talk to them and they're just empty because I would like to think that I've got a pretty good bullshit meter when I'm talking to people and the people that their entire driving force is making money, for example, and they're financially successful. They're so full of crap, their eyes up around. But the people who are financially successful and who are driven by something else, you can see a true passion in their in their voice when they talk about it. So, again, it's about having that greater 
that greater why and that greater you know purpose in life. And you, you good. You you're always gonna be able to push yourself farther when you make it about the person beside you or about those that you care about, right? Um, there's a reason why there's there's power in numbers and and kind of like that that herd mentality, that group mentality, because when you are doing something for somebody else, when you have another layer of accountability in whatever it is that you're involved in, I mean, you it's a must. You can't be denied. Yeah. If I'm looking at this like this is a this is an opportunity for me to make the type of money that I need to be a source of generational wealth for my family. I'm going to do what it takes. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Period. And I'm going to see that all the way through start to finish. Yeah. We're going to see what that look like on the back end. I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to knock it out, do whatever it is I need to do on a daily basis. And we'll see where that, where that gets me. If that don't work, on to the next. Yeah. Well, and that's so you get cut by the, by the Cowboys. How do you get yourself? So you already mentioned the support system you had in place of people calling you and letting you know it's going to be okay and your mom and everybody else, but you individually. So your whole identity has been football for years in a lot of ways. Okay. And now all of a sudden that's gone, unless you're going to play in the Canadian league or, or something along those lines. <laughs> no, so, I, ain't, I ain't hit my head no more. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, if you're going to get your, hit your head, you might as well get your, get hit for millions of dollars. All right. Get that. What's it called? CTE. Whatever it is, I look. It's, it's that's out of sight, out of mind. I've been, <laughs> I've been hit for sixteen years. I don't even want to. I don't want to think about that, man. So, but but you lose that identity. How do you yourself pull yourself out of the despair of like, damn, I just got cut. What do I do now? I think it's just being confident and secure in in who you are, right? I'm I'm like, you know, I've been successful in the in whatever it is I decided to put my mind to in my life and I've attacked it and I've been successful in it. I'm like, channel, channel that, that feeling, that overall energy, whether it's negative with whatever it is and and channel it somewhere. Whenever I felt bad and or down or whatever it is, I, when I go out to practice, I work my butt off. Yeah. Or this, the opposite. If I felt great, I'm telling that, telling that energy and working my butt off. So what can I take that that negative energy, that negative space, that negative mindset, how do I point that in the correct direction? And, you know, a part of that is doing your best to remain optimistic. When you talk about language and training your mind and the way you you speak about things, uh, well, you know, I have to I have to get up and do this today, or is it, you know, I get to do this today. Yeah. Um at this point, Ooh, you know, I'm not a big that's good. I get to do this today. I'm I'm not a and that's a little, it's a little Butch Jones too. Is it? Oh no, yeah, a little, no, a little, a little Butch no, Jones. No, but so he dropped that, he dropped that little nugget. So you know, I, I picked that up a little bit. Okay, but, uh, look at look at Coach Butch Jones uh, yeah, dropped, leaving positive influence. Yeah, he dropped, some, he dropped some nuggets for sure. Um, so you know that that optimistic approach is is major, and you know coming into work doing what I'm doing now, it's not the easiest thing to see clients and go about that process of what we do every day, but you know, sometimes in the morning I'm on my way to work and I'm, you know, feeling feeling my opportunity, really feeling appreciative of what it is that I got in front of me um, throughout my day. And at times it literally almost brings me to tears. I'm not the type of person to cry and do all of that. That's yeah. just that's just not me. But as far as just the, the magnitude of opportunities and perspective and truly believing that you're going to be all right, feeling optimistic about your days, um, 
it's just it's a lot, and I I really enjoy it. I really do. I uh, I can relate to that. I mean, waking up waking up in a day and truly having a sense of mission and purpose, it's it's pretty cool. And that's a fleeting feeling from time to time. You know, it's it's a roller coaster because sometimes you things aren't going your way and you just feel down about it or whatever it may be. And then, you know, I don't know, you got, you got a new client and they're really appreciative and you're like, I can conquer the world. Let's do what we got to do. But it's, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's interesting in the sense that, you know, I think the theme of this whole conversation is that balance and that switch. And I think that's what a lot of young men need to learn to develop whichever side of the spectrum they tend to be more, uh, they tend to lean more on. Are they more soft-spoken or are they more of a, like a, like we said, savage who's like willing to go, you know, conquer the world if he, if he needs to. Both are necessary. When I wake up in the morning and I need to fill up my calendar and I need to maybe go do a bunch of cold calls, that's me needing to be a savage and just get over the fear and just do it. But then at other times when I'm on a date with my wife, I don't need to be a savage. I need to be a right, hanging out with my wife, having dinner. And, you know, with with some of the and you don't have to mention names, but maybe with some of the guys that you came across in football that were just the straight savage type with no balance. What what are some of the challenges you saw them go through just in life? Now, people who are typically unbalanced are going to be unbalanced all completely. The time. Yeah. You know, whether it's, okay, ball versus school, work to, to life relationship, um, the balance within a relationship. And just to, just to be quite clear, <clears throat> I haven't always been this way. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> you learn. A big, a big piece of that was the, the summation of my experiences, but a, another major role in that was finding the love of my life, which is my fiance. So she really put me hip to a lot of different, a lot of different things, you know, cause you know, we have a lot of conversations at home or whatever it is. And she's like, we kind of go back and forth. She's like, that's not everything. Just because you, you strong or whatever it is like, that don't, that don't mean that you are somebody who has a lot of strength. Yeah. Like strength is measured in more ways than one, just because I cry or whatever, just because I feel strongly about things and I express that does not make me weak in any kind of way. Mm-hmm. And it took it took me a while to really get a, a, a grasp on that. But when I like I said, when I look at it now from everything that's went on, from my experiences, from seeing other guys kind of fall into things because of their lack of um, a lot of things that we've talked about, man, it's it's so important. It is. Yeah. Well, and that's where you end up with stupid stuff happening. You know, you think about all the scenarios, especially in college ball. I mean, we've got the wonderful example of 2009 when three of our players robbed a gas station. Right. <laughs> so that's an extreme example, but that's uh, that's a result of unbalanced. Most definitely, it's a, that's a result of, like you said, you got that savage side and it's 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 out in this present. Can you flip the switch to be cool, yeah, and comfortable, yeah, and and not overly ambitious in that moment or whatever it is or greedy or whatever it is, you know, and. At the same time, when it comes to people doing different things and making mistakes, uh, you know, I think the context is always definitely important. The the why behind that is definitely important. Yeah. Because you, like we've talked about in the past, if you're in a certain situation and your family's at home and they hungry and you got to feed them, you know, you may feel like there's no other way yeah. but to do certain things. But having that perspective and, and some understanding and having the ability to make the switch to even allow your mind to think that way. You know, usually there's there's more ways to go about things, more ways to go about doing things, more efficient ways, better ways, 
ways that isn't harmful to anybody or whatever it is. So, yeah. well, and, and I think when you talk about flipping that switch, I think part of that is obviously we've been talking about that within the context of football, but it applies to all areas of life. In order to be able to flip a switch, you have to be able to see the world from another perspective, maybe a perspective that is completely opposite of your own. And the problem there is cognitive dissonance really kicks in where our brain won't let us see things from another point of view. And that's something you have to train, truly train and, and sure. struggle with and come to terms with in a lot of ways. For sure. When you're somebody who's, who's prideful and confident, somebody like myself, it may take two, three, four conversations for me to see the other side. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but you learn to appreciate the other side. You learn to appreciate, okay, this makes me uncomfortable, right? The one thing I love about this job, 100% everything that I do, I'm not comfortable with doing. Yeah. I'm naturally introverted. I don't always like to talk to people. Yeah. I don't want to go out and do all of this, that, and the other. But at the same time, when I think about it, when I push through, you know, physical things that I was uncomfortable doing and didn't want to do, or things mentally or whatever it it was, it was always something great on the other side of that. And it's just, it's weird and it's funny. It's like, why does my mind want to put up these roadblocks when there's something so good on the other side? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't understand, but I think that's definitely the difference um, between people accomplishing things and not accomplishing things. Yeah. Um, is the ability to do that. Yeah. And to grow. Yeah. And to- yeah. Growth. Just wanting to grow, wanting to put yourself in that situation and, and some and in some kind of way find some comfort and and joy um being in that, that discomforting situation. So we're running up on time here and I always like to end the conversation with this question, but let's go back to eighteen year old Jay. Eighteen. Yeah, you're uh you're about to you're about to go on campus at the University of Tennessee. You're about to be 30 deep everywhere you go because your entire signing class does <laughs> everything together, every single thing. It's the most annoying thing in college because um, you can't go anywhere without a bunch of dudes, like six foot five guys at 250 just taking up the space. And I, I my wife makes fun of me. I'm like, I'm 6'3", 220, 225. I get really angry when other people are bigger than me. So I, <laughs> it's like it's my Napoleon complex. Like, what? What are you doing? So you're you're about to go thirty deep everywhere. You're you're starting off your career. You're about to start an SEC. You're about to come across some true savages on the field. What is the one piece of advice you would give yourself, looking back, knowing all that you know and knowing all that you know about yourself? I would say to just to just be full. When I say be full, I mean those three things. Because during that time period, um, with the things I was focusing on and not focusing on, I wasn't always wholesome in that way. Yeah. Um, spiritually, mentally, and physically. Um, and I feel like that would have allowed me to enjoy the time spent there just that much more. Um, and doing things that I wasn't comfortable with doing, I was doing that every day in football. So that's exhausting yeah. <laughs> when, you're, when you're doing things you're uncomfortable with every day. Um, but I would have pushed even harder in that. Um, spent time with some people that I never got the opportunity to spend time with because I wasn't comfortable going here, doing this or doing that. Um, I think that's what I would have said to myself. Okay. I like it. Be full. Not not from food. Both. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did, was Gibbs still around when you started 
Well, when I first started getting recruited, Gibbs was around. I saw the layout for the new Gibbs and the additions onto the facility. So, so the reason I ask, back in the day when I went to Tennessee, the old Gibbs Hall was still around, and the cafeteria was like a hidden secret. Okay, you didn't know about it. You couldn't you couldn't use your meal plan there, and and it was deli- I mean, they had like filet mignon every night, and like lobster, and they're just like throwing salami around. And it, I mean, the, the Gatorade was the most magical thing ever, and you had to pay to go. Well, one of my buddies figured out that there was a hidden meal plan that was not advertised that you had to know about to ask at the dining services people to sign up for that meal plan. And it it was three meals a day and it was only at Gibbs. Okay. I loved eating there so much because it was so good that I lived off campus sophomore through to senior year and I had my Gibbs meal plan and I would go to Gibbs just to eat. And we had a whole group of friends. And then by senior year, it became popular. And then it was just packed and it sucked. But <laughs> but Gibbs back in the day was so good. Did they have, did y'all have a canned Gatorade there? No, we did not. Okay. See, if, we if, were, if y'all have not had canned Gatorade at the University of Tennessee, when I first got there, especially we had canned Gatorade. And there's something about it. It tastes different. So if you can get your hands on some of that it's that cancer they put in the cans. <laughs> you get your hands on some of that. I advise you to, to give it a try. It's, uh, it's delicious. Well, Jay, I, uh, I appreciate you coming on. I loved hearing your story. We might continue it at some point in the future. I um, Obviously, for, for anybody listening, I'll, I'll make sure to put your social media and all the stuff in the in the show notes if they want to they want to slide in your DMs for some reason. <laughs> but uh, for all for everybody listening, Happy New Year. Um, Happy New Year. Excited for this to be the the first show of the year and we've got some great shows lined up. And obviously as always, if you've got any questions, comments, concerns, constructive criticism, keyword constructive, don't just complain, <laughs> offer a solution, millennial manhood, CIP at gmail.com or holler at me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever you may think. So you guys have a good rest of your week and we'll, we'll talk soon.